Let's go to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. I uh, thanked uh, Brother Hetzer over and over again for those messages because I said those are re-preachable. <laughs> Somewhere where I know you will never go. They'll think, man, Brother Prater, that's awesome. And I may or may not tell them where they came from. Nah, they were tremendous. Hey, I don't want to embarrass him tonight, uh, but pray for uh, Brother Royce Lambeth. Um, he's been having some, uh, some health issues, some, some struggles, and I think they finally zeroed in uh, on what's going on with some blockage in, in, on the left side of his uh, neck. And uh, so they're going to be uh, uh, talking to his doctor uh, in the coming days and try to see what, uh, what they're going to do with respect to treatment for that. Um, I love Brother Royce and Margaret. They're sweet, sweet people. And uh, Margaret, we get to see her all the time. And Brother Royce, he's just kind of in and out of here. Nobody even notices him. He likes it that way, I think. Uh, but uh, he needs our prayers. And so let's, uh, let's be sure and pray uh, for that dear man of God. I know that he would appreciate it. Just, uh, just this week, um, Tiffany was sharing something with uh, Katie and I that uh, Huck had said to her um, that was, was so Huck-like. Um, I'm not kidding, that kid says some of the most adorable things, and, and I know he's my grandson, and I'm supposed to say that, but I'm just telling you, he says some of the most adorable things, like the other day, and this isn't what I wanted to share with you, but the other day, um, they were driving south from the north end of town, they were on Kansas, and uh, all of a sudden, Tiffany hears Huck from the back seat, and he says, oh, my soul, oh, my soul. Tiffany said, Huck, what? He said, I see the Brahms. He loves Brahms. His dad, when his dad's home, takes him to Brahms for breakfast. He said, oh, my soul, I see the Brahms. <laughs> I'm, he's, just, he's just dramatic that way. But here's really what I wanted to, to share with you recently. Um, Tiffany had told him to do something. And uh, he looked at her. <laughs> and he said, I just keep wanting to ask why. <laughs> because they've been teaching him, don't ask why. I mean, what's the answer? Because I told you to. You don't get the same answer all the time. But he looked at us, I just keep wanting to ask why. <laughs> you remember when your kids were that age? Why? 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 That's, that's, uh, that's one of those pesky questions that, that kids like to ask. And they've got a lot of them. They, they're just pesky questions, and, and they love asking them. And here's another one. Are we there yet? 
It doesn't matter. It does not matter if you are on a nine-hour trip or if you're going to Walmart. There's always that one kid who's got to ask, are we there yet? And with the Lord's help, that's what I want to preach on tonight. Are we there yet? With the Lord's help. Throughout this letter to the believers in Thessalonica, uh, Paul addresses concerns having to do both with doctrine and with everyday living of life. Or, or we might say it like this, he addresses what we believe and how we live. And the truth is tonight, church, what we believe will dictate how we live. I mean, it, it just will. To close his letter, and I think uh, Brother Tyler may actually be preaching through the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, on Sunday mornings when I wrap up the book of Joshua. But to close his letter, Paul presents a list of directives to the Thessalonians and obviously to us as well as 21st century believers really that at first glance could make us feel a bit overwhelmed. Um, let me show you, beginning in verse 14. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, and then he starts with this list of directives. Warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, don't render evil for evil. Follow that which is good. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in everything. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast all things. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And it's like, whoa, 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 Paul. Just like one at a time, please. You're wanting me to do all of this, all of this stuff all at once. And it's just this humongous I mean, it's like there's no, there's zero room for mistake here. No sleeping, no nothing. You just got to be busy all the time doing all of these things. And, and I mean, he covers it all. You, you look, take some time when you get home, look through that list. He covers it all. It's like we can't pull this off. Um, you got to be perfect. Come on, Paul, you got to be perfect to, to do all of that stuff. And that's a problem because none of us are perfect. Our sinful selves will not allow us to be perfect. And Paul knows that. I mean, he, he's well aware of what he wrote at the close of this letter. And there are some pretty lofty ideals that are presented there. And Paul knows that the Thessalonians, as well as anybody who would read this letter for ages to come, Paul knew full well that nobody's perfect and that nobody would be able to pull off that list flawlessly. And so that's why he writes what we're going to read in verses 23 and 24. He 
This is a prayer that he prays for his friends in Thessalonica. Verse 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 24, my life verse, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. This is a prayer for something that hasn't happened yet. Being sanctified wholly in our body and uh, in our soul and in our spirit and being blameless. Paul is obviously praying something that hasn't happened yet and we know that it hasn't happened yet because we all looked in the mirror this morning. Amen? We aren't completely holy. We aren't totally pure. And if the truth be told, most of us probably don't feel anywhere close to that. Not even close. How many of you agree with me tonight? Pastor, I'm not even close to holy, holy. How many would, would, would say tonight, honestly, Pastor, I feel like I've got a long way to go? Absolutely. I do too. But here's the good news. We will get there. We will get there. It's guaranteed. There'll be more about that in a moment. When you... Read the words of Paul's prayer for his Thessalonican friends. It's almost as, as if he's saying, Lord, I've done all I can do. I, I've taught these people everything I know. And now you've got to take it from here. Because unless you help them, they're not going to turn out well. They're not going to turn out right. And that leads me tonight to offer you this layman's definition of sanctification. It's everything God does in your life and in mine to make sure that we turn out right. The work of sanctification, the work of perfecting holiness in God's people, is everything that God does in your life and in my life to make sure that in the end, regardless of what it's like now, in the end, we turn out right. God intends to make sure that His children turn out right in the end. As parents... Katie and I did everything we could to ensure that our children turned out right. I mean, we, we poured our lifeblood, if you will, into them. 
I mean, we gave them everything that, that we knew to give them. I, I often liken it to, to putting tools in their toolbox. We gave them, we did the, our best to give them everything they would need to do life the right way. To do life in a way that would, would honor God and, and represent Him well in this world. And I know many of you have done the same. But even at that, we still worried about what the end, the, the end product was going to look like. Amen? Because we knew that we wouldn't do everything but right, but even if we did do everything right, our kids have their own heart. And they have their own will and they make their own decisions. Now, apply that same truth in the spiritual realm. God has invested in us the death of His only begotten Son. And our sanctification is the divine guarantee that his investment will not be wasted. Now, there's no parent that can say, well, I guarantee you that my children are going to turn out right. No parent can, no parent can make that guarantee, but God can. God can make the promise. And, and, and our sanctification, our ultimate sanctification is the assurance that God finishes what he starts sanctification then is God's commitment to us we are going to make it he will personally see to it there are five things in these two verses I want to share with you tonight they all start with P the person the promise the prospect the position, and the promise. Let's go back to the beginning of verse 23. Let's talk just a little bit about the person. Know the beginning of, of this verse. And the very God. The very God. Now you know and I know that any contract is only worth the integrity of the name on the paper right house loan car loan any any kind of any kind of contract it's only as good as the integrity of the name on the paper and even even so our hope of of Final sanctification, our hope of one day being holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, holy, completely perfect, spotless, and blameless, is only as good as the person who stands behind it. And with the very God standing behind the guarantee of our sanctification. I don't know about you tonight, but I feel pretty good about that. I feel pretty good about it. 
Here's the truth. Only God can make us holy. And think about, think about that for a moment. Exercise improves our body. Therapy may help our soul. Friends, thank God for friends. They may lift our spirits. Good fortune may improve our circumstances. But listen to me tonight. Only God can make us holy. Only God. He's the person. And then here's the purpose. And the very God of peace, here it is, sanctify you holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. The word holy translates a two-part Greek word that combines holos, which means whole, and telos, which means in the end. And so when we look at that word holy, here's what we understand. God has ordained that his children, all of them without exception, will be made complete in the end. You've got his word on it. Now granted, we're not that way now. Not even close. Right now, most of us feel fragmented. We, we feel torn in a, in a thousand different directions. We're incomplete. We're still under construction in this life. But God intends that when we finally get to heaven... The hammers and the saws and the chisels are going to be put away. And we are going to stand before the Lord with every part perfectly in place and every aspect of our life made perfect. Every, every part. We're not finished yet. Amen? We're not finished yet. But we will be. We're not completely clean today. But we will be. In his comments on this text, John Calvin said that God intends, quote, the entire renovation of man. I like that. The entire renovation of man. Now, how many of you tonight are regular viewers of those renovation shows on TV? All right, we got, we got a few so-so. All right, we got, we got some. Um, if you are, then you understand what Calvin meant when he said that. The entire renovation of man. Now, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I've never watched a full episode of any of those shows. Not one full episode. But I've watched enough to know that they all follow the same plan. They find a distressed property, and they start renovating it, 
And if everything goes well, then they flip it or they turn it for a profit. But alas, things never go well. Usually they get started with a bang. I mean, they celebrate throwing a sledgehammer through the wall and and tearing out all of the walls and tearing out all of the electrical wires and knocking out the windows and and digging into the foundation. I I mean, they're, they're just going to town. And there, I remember the renovation of this building. We were going to town. We could flat tear it up. We could. I mean, from the kids on up, we could, we could rip it up. We could knock it down. We could tear it up. We could get her done. We demolished things. We were great at tearing stuff up. It's awesome. And those people, I mean, they're, they're, they're ripping it up, they're tearing it up, they're pulling it down, and then they run into an unexpected snag. Either it's a crack in the foundation, or the roof needs to be replaced, or there's mold in the bathroom, or whatever. They always run into a snag. And it looks like the project has turned into a disaster. And then what happens? They break to a commercial. (laughs) Yeah, huh? They go to a commercial. And now you've got to stay there. You may make a run to the fridge, but you got to be right back because you got to see how this thing turns out. And what is the outcome? Why do people continue to watch these? Because in the end, the crisis is averted. And the renovation is completed every time. I mean, they wouldn't be on TV if they left it condemned. That's not what they're there for. They are there to complete the job. And they do. Miraculously, they complete the job. Now, here's one thing you can take away from, from watching those shows. Renovation always takes longer than estimated. Huh? And it always costs more than expected. Nothing is ever as easy as it looks. I'm not a construction guy. I don't pretend to be a construction guy. But I do understand now when somebody says it's a whole lot easier to build from scratch than it is to remodel something. I'm telling you, there are, there are hidden places in this building that if you looked, you'd think, how in the world did they do that? Well, we just did it and covered it up real fast. <laughs> I, uh, remember, I remember over in the fellowship hall when they were trying to get the air conditioning ducked in the fellowship hall. You, you're talking about an act of God. I mean, there was just, there was minuscule space to get that ductwork in there. But they did. They they got it done and disaster averted. And now sometimes air conditioning and they'll run you out. It gets so cold. And the heat will burn up in there. I mean, they did a great job. Now listen, if you think houses 
buildings are hard. Try renovating a human life. <laughs> as good as those people on TV are, the renovation of a life is such an impossible task that only God would attempt it. Only God would attempt it. As I look around this building tonight, God's been, been working on some of us for 25, 30, 40, 50 plus years. And the job's still not done. He's still working on me, even though I'm 73. I just made that up. And then at some point, at some point, God says, you know, I've done all I can do down there from up here. So I'm going to bring you up here where the working environment, the working conditions are better. And we breathe our last. And we awaken his presence. Today, as we sit here, May 1st, 2019, we're holy in spots. There are bits and pieces of our lives where, where we are holy. And I'm not bragging. God's helped us and God's brought us there. And God's changed that part of our life. And we're holy in spots. But God's not finished with us. But when He is, we will be holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. We'll be holy, holy when God finishes with us. That is the purpose of God's sanctifying work in our lives. Whether it's through our own personal devotions, whether it's through preaching from the pulpit, whether it's through our, uh, uh, our watching somebody else's life, um, God is forever perfecting us. God is forever at work making us holy, holy. Which leads us to number three, the prospect. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved. Listen, God's intention is to renovate all of us. Not all of us, but all of us. Every single part of us, not just some parts. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, not a, not a patched up old creature, but a new creature. And it's God's desire that, that, that he renovate all of us. Nothing will, will be left, nothing will be overlooked. Every aspect of our lives will be made perfect in the end. But let's think about, let's think about right now. If you could change anything about yourself, where would you start? 
Now, most of us, I'm guessing, would start with something on the outside. Yeah, you know, Pastor, if I could, I'd be skinnier. Amen. I'd be taller. I'd be shorter. I'd be better looking. Some perhaps would change their eyes or their hair or their teeth or their legs or their bulges or their balding. I mean, if you could, could wave a magic wand and change your entire outward appearance, would it, would it be a light touch-up or would it be an extreme makeover? And then what about the inside? What about the inside? If change on the outside is hard, how much harder is change on the inside? I mean, you can go to a doctor and get changed on the outside. But what about, what about the inside? Listen, if there's anything we know about human nature, it's that people change slowly. If they change at all. Just think about the struggles tonight in your own life. What would you change about you on the inside if you could? Would it be an impatient spirit? Would it be a, a critical tongue? Would it be envy of those around you? Would it be a spirit of, of discontentment? Or one of lingering resentment? Would it be a lust you can't conquer? Would it be a Financial, would it be financial mismanagement? Or a guilty conscience? Or overbearing stubbornness? Or a judgmental spirit? A quick temper? Would it be profound discouragement? What would you change about you on the inside? An ungrateful spirit? A disorganized life? Here's the good news of the gospel. We are going to be changed. Hallelujah. We are going to be changed. The stuff about ourselves that drives us crazy will one day, listen, it one day will be gone forever. And we will stand blameless before him at his coming. That will be our position. The word blameless means faultless. It's a legal term which means to be acquitted in a court of law. You are blameless if no one can bring a charge against you. But that's not true of most of us right now those people who know us best who 
who know our weaknesses no doubt could stand and testify against us if it were not for their kindness toward us. God intends that when we stand before Him, He will say, does anyone in the whole universe have any reason why this person should not enter heaven? And at that point, there is going to be a loud silence as no one, not the angels, not the demons, not saints, not sinners, no one in all of the universe will be able to bring any charge against us. Amen. Now granted, we are far, we are far from blameless right now. No, if the truth were known, we are, we are quite blameworthy. And sometimes our progress towards sanctification and holiness is discouragingly slow. You ever find that to be true in your life? And do you ever do you ever look in the mirror and ask yourself questions like this? What is wrong with you? What were you thinking when you said that? How could you be so stupid? You know better than that. Why did you say that? How could you treat a friend that way? Are you with me tonight? You ever stood and looked in the mirror and thought, you doofus? Been saved long enough. You know better than that. Dude, the preacher just preached on that Sunday morning. And here you are. And we get frustrated with our imperfection and our blameworthiness. At least I do. Again, spiritual growth can be very discouraging at times, especially for new Christians. And we're going to, later in this, our study of the book of Joshua, we're going we're to make an analogy between the children of Israel and, and why Christians don't grow. And sometimes our lack of, of, of progress toward holiness and sanctification is our own fault. But then there are times that we're really working on it, and it just doesn't seem like we're getting very far. It's, it's like climbing Mount Everest. The closer you get to the top, the farther away it seems to be. But listen, God, God has a reason for all of this, and here it is. He wants us to depend on Him for everything in life including our sanctification. As a matter of fact, He has designed life, listen, He's designed life in a way that it only works when He's in charge. He likes it that way. No, He's designed it that way. It'll only work when He's in charge. 
when we try to run the show as we often do, I mean, it just falls apart. Just comes crashing down. If the Christian life were left up to us, we would fail every time. Only God can give us what we need to be victorious. As we sit here tonight, I think I'm speaking for all of us tonight, we don't feel blameless. Maybe even as we think back on this day, there are some blameworthy things in our life. Today, listen, today we are unfinished people. But when God is finally finished with us, we will stand blameless in his presence. That's the good news of this passage. And it's good news because it's promised. Look again at verse 24. In context, Paul's talking about our ultimate sanctification. He's talking about our internal, our eternal perfection. And he says this in verse 24, faithful. Everybody say faithful. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. What is it? Our sanctification. Our perfection. Faithful. Our entire hope, both in this life and in the life to come, rest on the faithfulness of God. His faithfulness bears the entire weight of our puny efforts. I told you before, we're not there yet, but we will get there. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. Because faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. In 1464, Brother Bob Killingsworth, he'd probably tell you what it was like back then. In 1464, a sculptor began working on this huge piece of flawed marble. And he, he, his intention was to produce a magnificent sculpture of an Old Testament prophet for a cathedral in Florence, Italy. And he labored at that for two years and then he just stopped. Just stop. And in 1476, another sculptor picked up where the first one left off, and he worked on it. He hammered and he chiseled. And, but in time, he abandoned it as well. Then in 1501, a 26-year-old sculptor named Michelangelo was offered a considerable sum of money to produce something worthwhile from that enormous block of marble that they referred to as the giant. And so he began his work. And as he started working on that piece of marble, he, he noticed a, a huge flaw near the bottom 
that had stymied those other two sculptors. And so as he stepped back and, and he looked at it and he began to, to envision things in his mind, he decided to turn that part of, uh, uh, of the stone into a broken tree stump that would support the right leg. And he worked on that marble for four years until he had produced the incomparable David. Now, I would show you a picture of that tonight, but it's not suitable for church viewing. Today, that 17-foot-tall statue stands on display in Florence, where people come literally from around the world to view it. More than a masterpiece, it is one of the greatest works of art ever produced. It has been said that there is no statue more perfect. And the question is, how did he do it? Here's the answer in his own words. In every block of marble, I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude and action. I have only to hew away the rough walls that imprison the lovely apparition to reveal it to the other eyes as mine see it. Did you get that? In layman's terms, here's what he said. I cut away everything that didn't look like David. See Brother Glenn back there. Brother Glenn, you still whittle? Yep, that's a typical Glenn Scruggs answer right there. Yep. Remember that little tiny pair of boots that you made for Brother Landis? They, they were so incredibly detailed. It was amazing. Brother Landis asked him, said, Glenn, how did you do that? And in typical Glenn fashion, well, I just cut away everything that didn't look like a boot. Michelangelo, how did you produce that sculptor of David? Well, I just cut away everything that didn't look like David. How's God going to present us blameless one day? He's just going to keep chiseling away at everything in our life that doesn't look like Jesus. Because Romans 8, 29, there is, there is a verse after Romans 8, 28, and it's Romans 8, 29, where it says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's dear Son. And so those all things that are mentioned in Romans 8, 28 that come into our life, that work for our good, you know what that good is? The good is making us more like Jesus. So God is constantly hammering and sawing and, and chipping away. Listen, we are under construction. And in my mind's eye, I picture God as a sculptor and he's working with this rough piece of marble. It's a big chunk of nothingness called Bill Prater. 
And it's a hard job. And it'll be a miracle if he can make anything out of that. Probably the worst chunk of marble that he's ever had to work with. But God is undeterred. And is as uncooperative as I can be sometimes, he's not going to stop. He's not going to quit. And though he just gets through chiseling away in one area of my life, and he turns around and he looks again and it's flawed again, he's going to lovingly and patiently go at it again and again and again until one day Bill Prater stands before him perfect blameless holy holy purely sanctified completely sanctified Faithful is he that calleth you. If you're here tonight and you're saved, God has called us out of the darkness. The Bible says that he's translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And he's working on us. Are we there yet? Nope. Are we going to get there? How do you know? Because faithful is he that calleth you, who also not may do it, or might do it, or could do it. No, 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 no. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Amen.